All right, what's up, Alabama fans? It's Andrew Bone here with BamaInsider.com. Got a special guest on our show this evening, Mike Farrell, uh, National Recruiting Director for Rivals.com. Mike, how you doing? Good, doing good. I know it's been a been a wild week. Uh, you know, not as not as crazy as uh, the December early signing period. Um, I want to get your take though on you know this signing period. I mean, it's, you know, not a lot of drama. Um, you know, we see most of the drama now in December. Um, do you like it like this? I don't. <laughs> I miss it. I miss I miss the one day in February where everything went nuts. And you know, I think you had. Definitely a lot more drama. I mean, it's good for the kids, right? They get three days to decide in December. They could shut it down. You know, they get the one day in February if they want to wait. And then, of course, they can wait beyond that. But you see a little bit less craziness. And I miss the craziness. Like, you know, there's so much pressure put on that one day, the first Wednesday in February back before the early sign-up period that crazy stuff happened all across the country. And, and yesterday was, like, a little timid. <laughs> um, you had an you, you had an awesome conversation with uh, with Coach Saban. Uh, you know, I thought Rivals did a great job uh, yesterday. You know, posting a lot of Zoom interviews with uh, coaches throughout the entire country. Um, what was that that's conversation the, like with uh, Coach Saban? That's the good part, you know, like because it was so. It's another day for them, mm -hmm. so it's not like you know they're, they're they're sitting there waiting for letters all day and and, and scrambling and and you know it's another day for them like he coach Saban said he had like eight or nine zoom interviews with 2022 kids just like a regular day um that's the one advantage is that we're able to get the coaches and we got a ton of them yesterday and that's i mean Saban is the uh he's the the great white whale man i i've never got an interview with him before so that was that was a big deal a few weeks ago, there was a uh, there was a video that got out there. Um, Coach Saban uh, interviewing a or not interviewing, but uh, speaking to uh, to a recruit, um, and it leaked out there. Um, what do you think about his recruiting pitch? It's exactly what I expected, like <laughs> verbatim to the word. And I've heard kids tell me what he's like, and I, I've obviously never been in a recruiting pitch uh, with him. He's never recruited me, uh, so. I always just pictured what it would be like, and that was it. I could have written that. I mean, it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect because everything he said is a thousand percent correct, and there's no way to argue against it. Just there's no way. I mean, what, what are you going to poke holes in? You come here to win a national championship. You know, iron sharpens iron. Uh, those who say you shouldn't go there are questioning your competitive nature and your ability. Uh, and then give an example. I forget what it was. Was it Sertain and Judy or something like that? It's like there's no way to argue with that. That is that is Nick Saban, and that's exactly what I expected. A lot of debate right now uh, with this recruiting class um, in terms of point totals. Um, highest point total in the in the rivals modern rankings history. I know uh, you guys tweaked the uh, the rankings formula. I think it was back in 2013. Yep. And um, but as of right now, the highest uh, you know rated class in uh, in rivals history. Um, just your overall take on this class and you know how Alabama was really able to put this thing together. I mean, no weaknesses that I can find. Um, you know, Terry and Arnold was sort of the cherry on the top that pushed it over to be the highest point total in history. Um, it's got a lot to live up to. You know, because the last time they were number one was 2017. 
and 2017 was just ridiculous when you look back at it. And, you know, so are we going to see, you know, Devontae Smith and Henry Ruggs emerge from this class? You know, will Jalen Milroe have the impact that Tua and Mac had? Uh, you know, is Kamar Wheaton, Najee, you know, the answer right now to all of those in my head is no, because how could they be? But this is Nick Saban, this is Alabama, and in this class, it starts up front. I'm telling you right now, if you're a recruiting fan, I know it's offensive football. I know you want those speed guys and you want great quarterbacks. Quarterback's the most important thing. If you don't have one, you're dead. Offensive line is where it's at, and this class is so good uh, from an offensive line standpoint that they're just going to be able to develop quarterbacks and do all the things they want on offense because these kids are just going to have time. This offensive line class for Alabama, Alabama signed two offensive linemen who are rated in the top 10, according to rivals, uh, including J.C. Latham, who was uh, the number one offensive lineman, number two overall in the country, and Tommy Brockermeyer. Um, you know, talk about those guys and uh, what kind of impact you you know may see them having at the next level. I mean, are, is this – from top to bottom, you know, the best offensive line class you've seen, not Alabama. I'm just talking about as a whole in general. I mean, there's so many five-star offensive linemen throughout the, uh, throughout the country this year. Yeah, it's one of them. You know, I, I try not to go best ever unless I really, really feel strongly about it. Um, you know, and, and oddly enough, um, Stanford had one of the best offensive line classes I've ever seen. I forget what year it was, maybe 2014 or, or something, but, you know, Andres, Pete, and, um, you know, some other guys in that class, it was an amazing, amazing job that they did there. Um, you know, Alabama's had some great classes. I mean, 2017, you had Wills and Leatherwood. Right. This is a very, very strong offensive line class, and they balance each other out well. You got your pure tackles. You got your guys that play tackle or guard. And then you got your pure center guard uh, in James. So I think it's, you know, it all depends on how hard they want to work. But based on previous results, you know, there's no reason why two of these guys aren't first rounders, maybe three. Uh, and the other guys are second, third rounders. I mean, that's just the way things roll at Alabama. And J.C. Latham reminds me of Mike Adams. And, and people are going to say, who's Mike Adams? Mike Adams was an offensive tackle 100 years ago, went to Ohio State and, and got in trouble off the field and still ended up carving out uh, a career, but had one of the highest ceilings I've ever seen from an offensive lineman. I think he was third in the country uh, and just didn't have the the the, the demeanor to, to stay out of trouble. But J.C. Latham, he'll be fine. And, and if you could put that ability into a guy with a hard work ethic. I mean, you're talking about a potential top five pick in the NFL draft. He's that talented. I want to talk about, you know, some defensive players real quick. Um, you know, Alabama's line, you know, we talk about Alabama's offensive line class, their wide receiver class is outstanding, but, um, and their defensive back class is outstanding, but their linebacker core, in my opinion, is, uh, is not necessarily underrated because it's very highly ranked, but you have guys like Dallas Turner, uh, Deontay Lawson, Kendrick Blackshire, uh, Ian Jackson, um, Keanu Coat. Um, you know, talk about some of those guys. And, and I know you guys just recently bumped uh, Keanu Coat up into the Rivals 100. What did you see 
in the film on him to make him, uh, you know, get that big bump in the final rankings. Well, and we had, you know, we had a little bit of changeover too, um, you know, and that's all difficult when you have changeover during an evaluation period. So, you know, we, we changed over from one Florida guy to another Florida guy. And, and that kind of forced me to get more involved in Florida and look at it even deeper than I normally do. Mm -hmm. And so I saw this kid and he was committed to LSU at the time. Um, and I'm like, what, why on earth is this kid a five, seven, three star? Like he's a freak. And so I watched his junior film and then, you know, I look back at his camp video and I get, Oh, okay. He's a little awkward. You know, at camp, he was kind of like a giraffe, you know, didn't really know how to play with his, his, his height and his size. So I get it. Somebody saw this kid on the hoof and said, Hmm, but they didn't delve into the film deep enough. And then I saw a senior film. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like <laughs> this is a kid we missed on this kid, you know, again, through the, through the proper evaluation channels and you're never going to have anything perfect, but this kid would have, instead of going from a five, seven, three to a 6.04, he would have slowly trickled upwards into possibly a five-star because he's just so explosive off the edge. I mean, you know, we see what Willie Anderson's doing. This kid can do the same thing. Let's talk about the rankings process this year and how difficult it was, um, you know, for you guys. Obviously, it's difficult for coaches to evaluate kids because they're not having them on campus. But uh, from a rankings perspective, um, and not having the rivals camps, not being able to go out to seven on seven events or, um, you know, just seeing kids in person. I mean, that's a really big part of the recruiting process. You know, it's not just, you know, evaluating film, but it's seeing these kids in person. And, um, you know, we really didn't get a chance to see the kids and really until their senior year. Yeah, it was, you know, part of it was really frustrating, obviously, you know, because evaluation camps is extremely important from not only physical uh, eyeballing and, and, and athleticism, but also from effort, um, you know, physicality, uh, skills, you know, I mean, you could see if a wide receiver can high point, you could see how he gets off the line of scrimmage. You could see how physical a kid is in, in one-on-ones. And, and even if they're underwear camps, as people call them, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, because that's what college coaches do. I mean, Nick Saban's offered kids at summer camps at Alabama for years now, um, based on that evaluation alone, coupled with the film. So we didn't have that extra layer of evaluation and it's an important one, but it, part of it was also kind of fun because it got me back to really digging into film and, and the old days of VHS tape showing up at your house and, uh, right. you know, just going based on film and, and not having a, a real, good sense of some of these kids, like how big are they? Um, you know, how have they grown? How have they improved physically? We're just guessing like, like Devonta Smith is a good example of a kid that, you know, we just, we went to see a game this year. He just didn't play. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we don't know. We think he's six foot one eighty five. Uh, we haven't seen him in probably a year and a half. Right. But his film's really, really good. And, and you know, but defensive back film is, is always interesting because if you're really good, they don't throw at you. So you got to base it based on the few times they do throw at you. Then you got to base it on how he is against the run and all that stuff. So that's a kid that was a difficult evaluation, whereas otherwise 
this would probably be the third camp we saw him at, and we would have a good feel for how good he is. Now, for our casual listeners, it's uh, Devontae Smith from Cincinnati, Ohio, not uh, Devontae Smith who just won the Heisman Trophy. Uh, if you have anybody on this <laughs> who thinks that I'm talking about Devontae Smith, <laughs> rescind their Alabama fanship and go root for somebody else. <laughs> um, let's talk about the defensive back class a little bit because you have there's two – kids who, uh, in my opinion, are, are superstars in Jaquincy McKinstry and um, uh, Terry and Arnold, who are, you know, multi-sport uh, athletes who uh, both plan on playing basketball at Alabama. Um, how difficult is that going to be for those guys? It's hard. I mean, it doesn't often happen, you know, that sometimes they think they want to do that and, and then they try to and, you know, it just doesn't work out or it's frowned upon or they're the 12th guy on the basketball team and it's just not worth the investment of time. Um, it's always great to have dual athlete guys. You know, I, I like first dual athlete guys, you know, when it comes to skill position kids is track. And these guys run track too, is track and, and, and football. Whereas it's the bigger guys I like to see play basketball because it really helps their footwork and and their ability to, um, you know, elevate and things like that. McKinstry, I look at this and, and, and part of me says we got it backwards and, and we're going to find out. And that's the tough part about evaluating. Um, McKinstry's thinner. He's smooth. He needs to work on his speed a little bit. And he's not as physical as Terry and Arnold but he's a little bit longer and plays longer and he has better ball skills. Terry Arnold's thicker, uh, more physical and probably a smidge faster. And the difference between them is about 20 spots and one's a five and one's a four. Um, they're both great. And I know, you, you know, Alabama's had Terry Arnold at number one since the beginning of this process. And we had a, Again, this is another one where you start off with one person's evaluation, then you have a shift, just like if a coach leaves, man. I mean, you know, everybody has turnover, rivals has turnover, and, 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 and coaches have turnover. You get a DB coach that loves a kid, and then you get a new DB coach that comes in and says, eh, it's not as good. I loved Terry and Arnold when I dove in, and I think he – he could end up being a better one of the two, but they're both special. Let's talk about coaching changes a little bit. Alabama is coaching revolving door in Tuscaloosa, um, you know, from position coaches getting coordinator jobs, coordinators getting head coaching jobs. And, you know, obviously the one constant is always going to be Nick Saban uh, being there. But, uh, but they brought in some new coaches, Bill O'Brien, Doug Marone, uh, Robert Gillespie, Jay Graham, you know much about those guys on the especially jay graham and robert gillespie on the recruiting trail but um yeah. uh, any any light you want to shed on those uh, the new staff uh, <laughs> yeah i mean uh, you know obviously marone was head coach at the college level um you know but that was at syracuse so you're not recruiting at the same level but you've got the nfl experience bill o'brien saved penn state football um when they went through the sanctions and and he kept christian hackenberg and some other guys committed and and kept everything together when they were down to like 60 scholarship kids uh, and, and really set up James Franklin for success. <clears throat> um, you know, they've got the pedigrees. They can sell college head coaching. They can sell NFL. 
and and they're good evaluators and coaches and, and teachers. Gillespie was at Tennessee, um, you know, Alvin Kamara, <clears throat> if that rings a bell. And then what he did at UNC with, with Javante and, and Michael is ridiculous. And he's a good recruiter, but a better developer. Um, so they hit a home run with him. And then Graham's a great recruiter and well-known in recruiting, <clears throat> been around um, also. But I, I asked Saban yesterday when I talked to him, you know, people think it's easy. And every year he goes through this. I mean, every year his guys get hired away uh, for bigger jobs. And, you know, he, he said he, people, people don't understand how difficult it is to keep replacing and finding good coaches that are willing to recruit. But I, I just assume they're going to be great. Like Gillespie and Graham are college guys. Um, Marone and O'Brien are coming from the NFL. So there's going to be an adjustment period for them getting back to, you know, kissing the butt of 17 year old kids, which they <laughs> have in a long time, but they'll be fine. I mean, there's really no doubting Alabama now. I mean, they just won the national championship. I talked to Brian Kelly yesterday. He told me that the two teams he played against when he got to the title game, BCS title game, and then in the playoff, nobody was beating those teams ever. And 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 he's just hoping he can get back and not have to play an Alabama juggernaut. And and that's what we're seeing here. So the future is just more national championships. Alabama's going to have to replace uh, Mac Jones next year, and I. I don't know if anybody thought going into the season. I know you probably didn't, uh, Mike, that Mac was going to have the year that he had. Tony uh, did. Uh, Tony did. Tony that was loud that loud mouth. He sent me a text this morning. <laughs> but he was completely right. Yeah. Um, is it Bryce Young's job uh, to lose, and can Jalen Milrow compete? Could he potentially be, be the guy, or is this, is, is this Bryce Young's team? I think it's Bryce Young's team. Uh, Milrow's a very, very talented kid. And, 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 you know, when Quinn Ewers committed to Texas and they lost Milrow, there were a lot of people in the state of Texas saying that Texas got the wrong guy. And, and Quinn Ewers is our number one player in the 2022 class. And everybody thinks he's the next Trevor Lawrence and superstar. Milrow is a guy who's a little bit raw in some aspects and needs to improve accuracy but he is a special football player. Um, he's going to push Bryce Young. Bryce Young didn't look great in mop-up. So Bryce has a lot to prove. But remember, Bryce Young always steps up. He never loses. Um, he always comes up big when you need him to. And I think when it's his team, that's exactly what he's going to do. I think, um, you know, Bryce not really being able to have a spring practice um, and then Alabama having an all-SEC schedule. Didn't really have a chance to have a lot of mop-up duty. Usually you're playing those, uh, you know, FCS schools and uh, getting a whole half of action in there. Um, so he's finally going to get a chance to uh, to compete yeah. this spring and, and go through practice and everything. But, um, you know, with some of these guys who really didn't have a chance to play this year, like Monkel Goodwine. Um, you know, he didn't play his senior year because state of Maryland shut down, uh, you know, football. So he didn't play. Um, JT Tulmola did not play his senior season. Now I think they're having a season now here in the spring, uh, for his high school, but, uh, how difficult is that for somebody to sit out for an entire year? Um, are they going to be able to, you know, pick things back up, you know, pretty quickly? What do you think? 
Yeah, it's it's tough, and it's part of the evaluation process too, fairly or unfairly. Um, you know, because what can we do? We can only evaluate the kids that played. So you got guys like Monkel who can just, you know, all they can do is 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 work out, and he's a monster. I mean, I've been watching, you know, the workout videos that that he puts up, and 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 following his progress in that respect. But you haven't seen him play a football game in over a year, so it's going to take some time to kick the rust off. Um, but I think we saw that last year without spring football, you know, and these are college football players we're talking about who had to kick the rust off. So, you know, again, when I, when I talked to Brian Kelly, I asked about Tyler Buckner, their quarterback who hasn't played like he missed one season with an injury, played one season as a junior and then his senior season was canceled and he just showed up on campus and there's rust to kick off. But it comes off pretty quickly if you're talented enough. Um, so I'm not worried about the guys that miss. What I do worry is is the guys that miss and maybe get a little lazy. And and I don't know if JT's that guy. Like, I haven't laid eyes on him. But, you know, I know Goodwin's not one of those guys because he looks like a bodybuilder. Speaking of JT Tuomola, um, I think I'm saying it right. <laughs> I may not be. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's – one of these kids who is uh, who has decided to wait out his recruitment. He wants to take official visits. He's one of the few guys uh, that we've seen in this cycle that said, hey, you know what? I'm going to wait it out. I'm going to take my official visits. Uh, but he's probably one of the only few guys who has that ability uh, where coaches are going to wait until the very end. Um, you know, what's your take on uh, on JT as he uh, you know stretches this out a few more months? I think this was a um... – I think he's a kid that's not overly interested in the recruiting process and then kind of pushed things. Uh, you know, I'm not going to sign in the early signing period. I'm not going to try to get out on my own to take visits, you know, unhosted and all this stuff. And then, then all of a sudden, a week before the Wednesday in February came, he's like, I haven't really been any place. I got to, I got to take visits. And, and so he, he hit the pause button. I don't think that's good for Ohio State, who was rumored to be his leader. Um, <clears throat> and, and based on that mentality and what I know about him, I think it's good for Oregon. Now, Alabama is, is never a school to bet against in recruiting. He's going to take an official visit there. Ohio State's not a school to bet against in recruiting. He's going to take an official visit there as well. USC is still involved. Also, his family in Southern California. But I know he's very, very tight with a lot of the current Oregon players. And that's the one, if I'm Alabama or Iowa State, that I'm worried about the most because it is home. He's not going to go to Washington. They lost their defense coordinator. He's not really interested in them. Uh, Oregon would be like, if he's staying home, that's where he would go. So we'll see. You know, he doesn't strike me as a kid that's going to take that chance. But either did Henry Tooto you know, who was choosing between Tennessee and Alabama. And right up to the last second, I thought, this kid's going to Washington. He's, he's, he's going to stay west. And he didn't. So you just never know with these guys. Let's talk about some bizarre recruitments. I, I thought in this recruiting class for Alabama, one of the most bizarre recruitments was Kamar Wheaton. And, and you know, maybe it had nothing to do, uh, you know, with the way he handled it. He just didn't care that much about recruiting. He just kind of, you know, when he got ready to announce that decision, he's, called coaches, but didn't really didn't really have much contact with coaches throughout the entire process. Nobody really knew where he was going to go. Everybody thought he was going to Oklahoma. I think Alabama even 
imagined he was going to Oklahoma, but um, how good is Kamar Wheaton? I mean, you know, can this guy be, you know, the next, you know, superstar running back in Tuscaloosa? He can. He doesn't have the receiving skills of Najee, um, and he can develop those. But Najee was more of a natural pass catcher. He's obviously not as tall. Um, but we got him as a five-star for a reason because he's a track kid. He can run away from people. Um, he's got tremendous balance. So he's always fallen forward. I like that. He's willing to get the tough yards. He does fight the football in the passing game a little bit. So I, I think he's going to have to be patient. If he's a kid that's a portal jumper, which, you know, most at Alabama aren't, then he's going to hurt himself. But if he waits, you know, and develops and gets coached up, especially with Gillespie there, uh, he's got a chance to be an absolute superstar. So um, this was one where I don't think Alabama was pushing, 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 pushing until uh, a few certain things occurred. Uh with, with the running back room, and and then they said, okay, we gotta we got we gotta get this kid, and then they got him, and that's kind of how, you know, in talking to sources at Oklahoma, I'm like, are you guys gonna get Kamar Wheaton? And, and the answer was, it depends on how bad Alabama wants him, and I'm like, wow, that's interesting, because it's almost like some other schools just throw up their hands and say, this kid's infatuated with Alabama. If they want him, he's theirs. Who is the one guy in this class that you would bank money on being a, you know, first round NFL draft pick, top 10 pick? All right. I'm going to bet a lot of money here. I'm going to bet my entire savings and my retirement. (laughs) Or else I'm going to be doing this when I'm 80. (laughs) I'm going to bet it on, I'm going to bet it on JC Latham. I'm going to take the boring, you know, number two player in the country pick just because he, he just, unless he gets hurt, he can't fail. You know, I mean, Keanu could be a top 10 pick. Dallas Turner could be. I think Brocker Meyer is who he is. He's closer to his ceiling. And McKinstry, I worry about how he's going to run in three years. Um, and Kamar Wheaton running backs don't go in the first round. So I'm not betting my money on that. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to bet it all on J.C. Latham, but I'm never right (laughs) in this class. It'll probably be somebody like Christian Leary, you know, who who is track fast but doesn't look track fast, just like Henry Ruggs didn't look track fast when when I laid eyes on him, and then comes out, has a good career, and then runs a a 4-2 and then goes in the top 15. Probably be someone like that. What are you going to take away most from this 2021 recruiting cycle? Is it, you know, I think we're all going to remember it being the COVID cycle. Um, You know, what will you remember most about this recruiting cycle for you? I I can't wait to see how some of these pan out and and really embrace the misses, you know, because I always embrace the misses. I'm always self-deprecating. I'm always willing to admit when I'm wrong. Uh, I don't think I'm smarter than anybody uh, in the coaching industry whatsoever. Uh, I just do the job the best of my ability. And I, I'm really interested in the kids that were missed and, and, and how they were missed. Like the three-star kids, and this doesn't really impact Alabama because they got like four three-star kids. But the, the three-star kid that goes to 
Texas that turns out to be a top 15 pick or, or the three-star, you know, like the Logan Diggs kid from Louisiana uh, who's going to Notre Dame who could be Travis Etienne, you know, because because the last running back LSU waited too long on was Travis Etienne, and he turned out to be great. And, and to see why, you know, did we get to see him? What was his film like? Did he miss his senior season? Um, that's what I'm looking forward to the most and, and what I'll remember from this the most, that this is the least accurate uh, uh, evaluation period since 20, no, 2002, when we first started Rivals. And, and it was before that in the early 90s, late 90s. But at 2001, there were no All-Star games. There, mm-hmm. were, there were Nike camps, but we had no budget. We had zero subscribers. So we couldn't go anywhere, and and we just had to guess. So that's that's kind of what I feel like this year is. And we talked about how this class, you know, greatest of all time, greatest in the rivals' modern rankings history. But from top to bottom, um, and I, you've seen so many great recruiting classes through the years, uh, not just from Alabama, but you know, uh, I know Miami teams have had had some uh, fantastic classes. Florida's had some fantastic classes, uh, but top to bottom, I mean. It, from a perspective right now, not three years down the road, but right now, do you think, you know, this is one of the best, not one of, but do you think it's the best class of all time? I might do an article on that. Um, I, you know, rank the top five on paper. USC has one of them. I know I have to look back yep. where they had a, P. Carroll had a ridiculous class. Obviously the Florida class with Tebow and Harvin on paper was out of this world. Um, you know, and Alabama is probably the other three. I mean, maybe Georgia uh, on paper, but yeah, this is definitely one of them. Um, you know, it's funny. I hear greatest ever, but yeah, I can still pick this class apart because um, that's what I do. <laughs> and, and I know I'm wrong. Like I look at the receivers and I'm like, okay, there's not a Jerry Judy in this group. There's not a Devontae Smith in this group. You know, Corey Brooks is good. He's tall. He's long. He's not super fast. A.G. Hall, a little, a little flake factor to him, and he's solid. But, you know, I, I don't know if he's he's serious enough to be great. Christian Leary is fast, but he's not looking fast in games when we when we evaluate him. And JoJo Earl's too small. So I look at those, but I would have said the same thing about Devontae Smith. Like, Devontae Smith was too small to be a five-star. And now he's the what the greatest wide receiver in the history of college football. So I look at this and I pick it apart. And then a few years from now, I'm going to look back and be like, wow, you know, these guys really do develop, but they can't, they, there's just no way they can have another first round wide receiver from them <laughs> in this. It can't. It's just the, the odds are against it. Amari, you know, Ridley, uh, uh, Judy, you can't have another one. So watch it happen now. It watch it happen, yeah. What was the craziest thing about this? Uh, what's the craziest recruiting story, not Alabama-wise, but just in your head in this recruiting cycle, what was the craziest, most bizarre story? I'm trying to think is usually they happen on the road. I'm trying to think if there's some sort of Zoom incident or something. Um, this one, see, this is – all the best stories are from in-home visits, right? Right. Yep. And there were no in-home visits. There were no Coach Harbaugh spending the night anywhere. Right. Or, or you know, you know, Dan Mullen saying something inappropriate 
you know, under his breath at, at, at a home visit that the kid heard or, you know. Nick Saban dancing at a, in a, during yeah. an official visit weekend. Such and such, you know, saying something bad about mom's spaghetti or, or <laughs> you know. I mean, there's so many great recruiting stories from home visits that we don't have that this year. Mm -hmm. Um you know, I'm looking, let me, let me look at the top class. Cause I, I just want to see if there's one kid that really just sort of surprised me. Uh, but I, I really don't think so. I mean, Marius Mims was interesting because he visited Tennessee a ton of times. And right. I think he's, he could be part of that investigation. Not that he did anything wrong, but they might have. Mm -hmm. um, Mason Smith wasn't interesting. Corey Foreman, Corey Foreman's tattoo was interesting, but Reuben Foster did that. So right. Not a, big, not a big deal these days. Right. That's rookie stuff there. Um, man, I get, I guess, you know, uh, Oklahoma getting Vandegrift and losing him and then getting Caleb Williams, which is kind of, it's a little bit ridiculous. Um, and, and I guess the, the nail biting, uh, the Sage Ryan thing, that was fun. Right. right. Yeah. but it, it seemed like it was all Alabama and then uh, he had graphics made for Alabama and then the day before he was going to announce because I remember it was a Saturday he was announcing the day before he was going to announce he, he quickly hit up people to make an LSU graphic mm -hmm. and he didn't know which one he was going to pick but he didn't even have an LSU graphic he was all Alabama right? and I think that was Saban's birthday too yeah, it was. Yeah, the thirty October thirty first. Yeah, said no to Saban on his birthday, um, and that was a tight, tight battle. But I, I stuck with LSU just because he's a home state kid, and I was like, I, I just I don't know. I guess Terrence Lewis is interesting too because he went from the Vols to Gators, Vols, fifteen different schools involved, and then he ended up in Maryland. So, but nothing great this year. I mean, the home visits are where all the ridiculousness happens mm -hmm. and the coaches end up making fools out of themselves. And that didn't happen this year. Well, Mike, we really appreciate you coming on the show tonight. Um, enjoyed speaking with you, getting your thoughts on, uh, on a lot of uh, top players in Alabama's class. And, um, and if you haven't seen, Charles Huff was just named the Rivals.com National Recruiter of the Year. Great year for Coach Huff. Uh, Dallas Turner, J.C. Latham, um, uh, Damon Payne, um, Devontae Smith also helped with Kamar Wheaton and Ja'Cory Brooks. A pretty good year for uh, for Coach Huff. He just got the uh, the Marshall head coaching job, so uh, best of luck to him. But Mike, thanks yep. so much, man, and uh, I'm sure we will uh, we'll get you on again. Yeah, I got to go do a Georgia one, and I got to give them a little bit of hope. <laughs> well, best of luck to you there, man, and we'll catch up soon. Okay. All right, thanks. See All right. You.